Hi, I'm Kat Holbrook, cook, lover of British produce and host of The Doorstep Kitchen. Welcome and thanks for tuning into the show which celebrates the best food and drink found on our doorsteps. On this episode, I am joined by renowned Irish chef Richard Corrigan. Right now we have some of the best oysters in England here. And Fergus the Forager speaks about this wild ingredient. The wonderful plant reed mace or bulrush, what the Americans would call cattails. But first, here's my update from the food world. Acclaimed Bristol-based bakery, Bakers & Co. have relaunched as the city's first ever sold sourdough bakery. With innovative baker Brett Sinclair at the helm, the menu see the production of all bread and pastries made from hand on site with a live sourdough starter. The idea of selling just sourdough baked goods came from a necessity and the lack of fresh yeast during the last lockdown. As the customer demand surged for sourdough, Brett realised the results were much better than before using commercial yeast, and Bakers & Co now use wild yeasts instead of commercial baker's yeast, resulting in a long fermentation process that yields fuller flavour and a more nutritious baked good. Next up, Sainsbury's has finally made it acceptable to eat mince pies for breakfast. Whilst many of our plans for Christmas have been scarpered, there is one aspect of the festivities that we can rely on, the food. This year, UK supermarkets are doing their best to keep our spirits high by launching some of their most creative products thus far. As part of its Christmas food range, Sainsbury's has taken the nation's love for mince pies one step further with the launch of the breakfast cereal packed with the festive snacks iconic filling. These mince pie wheats are cereal made from crunchy little pockets of wheat filled with a softly spiced raisin centre. In addition to these mince pie wheats, customers can also buy gingerbread porridge, cranberry, cinnamon and white chocolate granola and Buck's Fizz marmalade. Lastly, there are fears around our food prices rising over a no-deal Brexit. Import taxes on things like brie means that the prices of French cheese could rise as much as 40%, but these are all speculations for now, of course. Luckily, over the episodes of The Doorstep Kitchen, we have discovered quite a few native alternatives to well-known imports. There's incredible cider as good as champagne, Femme Farm Dairy's Baron By God, which is a brie-style cheese, and lots of others. As an extreme case, the London School of Economics estimated that some speciality cheeses like halloumi could be 55% more expensive. Lucky for us, though, there is Yorkshire Dharma's Squeaky Cheese, which is a halloumi style, and there's also a great one from High Wheeled Dairy. So no one panic, we have most of these things being made here on our doorsteps. So those are your three foodie things on your doorstep this week. And now let me introduce you to my guest for today. My guest today is a cooking legend, a stalwart for British and Irish seasonal food and the hospitality industry. He's run Mission-starred restaurants and the century-old Bentleys in Mayfair, and he's even cooked for the Queen... He's also the proud owner of the 150-acre estate Virginia Park Lodge in the Republic of Ireland, as well as Corrigan's Mayfair, Shoreditch's Daffodil Mulligan. Welcome, Richard Corrigan. Thank you very much. <laughs> so we're sitting here in Bentleys, and it's the first day, the second day, yeah. that restaurants have yeah. been able to reopen. Yeah. And it's very busy, which is amazing. So yeah, how are yeah, things really. for you? Well, uh, well, I'm fine. I, I, I said to you just earlier, I'm, mm. I'm still a bit in shock that we're just open. 
I mean, there's been so many close downs and openings and close downs now. Yeah. And uh, hopefully, I don't know what's coming in the future, but you know, I'm, uh, I'm starting to think, you know, are we opening to close? You know what I mean? You know, that kind of feeling is going through. Yeah. Uh, I hear the language already. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's going to take a while. Uh, you know, da. And all of a sudden, I'm just feeling, oh, God, here we go again. January and February will be knocked out of our lives. And, you know, every few months is knocked out of our lives. It just makes it so much harder to reopen and to get back to where we were. And it puts more pressure on everyone in the restaurant business, I think. Not just me, but everyone. You know what I mean? You start losing confidence almost. You know what I mean? That, mm, mm. You know, because you're just running along on a treadmill before and it's just one good thing. You have a great team around you. Everyone is full of optimism and, you know what I mean? Bright sparks. And, yeah. And all of a sudden it just drops to nothing. And, you know, you're trying to retain good people around you. And in most cases, we can't because our teams have got just so much smaller. So, you know what I mean? I would say the pressure and the, the stress is just umped on us even more. Mm. You know, barrel loads of it. And you know what I mean? We just have to kind of smile. Yeah. And at least try to put the keep the keep the keep the nice part of you, you know, out in the front, you know. Bury all the other Bury the Bury rest it. of it at the moment, you know what I mean? <laughs> I daren't even have a glass of champagne because it just might go for the case, yeah. you know what I mean, really. Yeah. But no, 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 I'm planning for the future, I'll be honest with you. I think this, this what's happening now is just, we might as well just tick-tock, tick-tock, box, box, box. But really, what's happening every next autumn, really, before we start getting things moving again really properly? Yeah, yeah, and late summer, be. September, and I just think we have to prepare for that moment. Yeah, um, but you've been keeping super busy uh, yeah, over no, the no, last no. month, and I saw the hilarious Irish Youth Foundation cook along <laughs> thing. It was amazing. It was filmed here in Bentleys, yeah. and um, uh, so many famous people. You were there. I mean, you're giving everyone drinks. It was just brilliant. Yeah, it was such a laugh. I think it was, it was what everyone needed. And you cooked some dishes as well. Yeah. You made your soda bread. Made some bread, I'll be honest with you. Yeah. Uh, made some bread. Because we make it in batches. quite funny, really. Because we were a bakery here. And kind of we make... 20, 30 loaves of it every 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 day. So we're mm. trying to get the get the recipe down to one loaf. You know, it was what I mean, really, really hard. Yeah, <laughs> we'd never done it before. Anyway. <laughs> but anyway, it came out well. Uh, yeah. We had we done the ham and we done the uh, the seafood cocktail. I mean, it, it was always about raising money. Really, uh, Dara, the team. Uh, you know, we've been involved in this charity for well over twenty years. Uh, I have been anyway. So you know what I mean. So between a trustee and a now a patron. Uh, it's good, you know, because a lot of London-based projects come out of this, you know what I mean? New Horizons, mm. Women's Charity in South London, you know, Refuge, and lots and lots of other things going on, you know, outreach in Camden, you know what I mean? So it's 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 not necessarily all sexy stuff. It's very real stuff, because some yeah. charities is just highly paid individuals, you know what I mean? And all the money goes to the office and very little goes out onto the street. I mean, we're involved in a charity where 95% of the money goes to the street. Mm, mm. So I'm very proud of it. And yeah. it's, it's been low key. And you know what, doing it online has made it a bit more high key, but we've been, we've yeah. been doing this every year for years. Yeah, yeah. And of course, the world is changing now. It's all, it's all online and everyone can log in. And I mean, the end result is going to be very good because we have a 50 grand pledge which has to come true, which will make it nearly 100,000 just in that without the auction. So when the auction comes true, well, it should be 10 grand anyway, everything. And uh, that'll be 110K, which is quite extraordinary. I mean, the whole thing. Amazing. So it really is amazing. So, yeah. you know, well done everyone involved. I mean, you know, Kira, Jessica, I mean, you know, my daughter is heavily involved in that. And uh, I think they've done a great job, you know. Really, really. good job. It was incredible. Yeah. And, um, 
there was a lot of buzz on social about it. Um, so it was. Was it really? Yeah, I mean, it was. I can tell you something. <laughs> I had the worst hangover of my life. <laughs> we drank a bottle of whiskey between myself and Dara Breen in the yeah, kitchen. So I kept topping up his glass. <laughs> yeah, and he had. Shop. And he kept looking yeah. at it. He kept looking and going, "Didn't I drink some of this?" And because uh, he was on 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 screen mode, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I just kept throwing it into him. And, uh, oh, God almighty, the next day, wow, la, la, la. Yeah, Jess, Jess said he did rock in at 4 a.m. Yeah, yeah, with no money for the cab or yeah. anything. Did oh. she tell you that? No, you know, Knocking no. on her door saying, have you 40 pounds to pay the cab? I didn't even know where my wallet was. Oh, dear. <laughs> well, just going back to your soda bread, you're very known for it. And it's it's a traditional Irish soda bread and you put treacle in it as well, don't you? Yeah, I put honey, uh, honey. Or, organic honey and treacle. So and treacle. I kind of darken it up and sweeten it up slightly. And it's really good with smoked food and shellfish okay. and cheeses. That's why we and that's what we do here. And that's why I like it a little darker mm. and a tiny bit sweeter with the honey. But it really works well. Yeah. It really is delish. It really, really is, you know, one of the most simplest elegance uh, recipes you know English English flour Irish recipe English flowers that's what we say yeah. Shipton Mill does all the stone ground oh, I love Shipton Mill Shipton Mill supply me with all the flour stuff yeah so you know what I mean I, really I is... get Shipton Mill for when I yeah five ton an hour five ton an hour goes through that uh, stone mill and it makes a big difference gluten very low content in it so you know what I mean it yeah. really is good a really good flour and that is yeah as you say traditional like Irish and then English flour yeah I'll be honest with you I mean I was reading up about soda bread when we talk about traditional Irish to say the first mm. soda bread was made by the American Indians right Really? Really? Yeah, absolutely. So there you go. You know what I mean? Really, it's a method that's widely used in Ireland because yeah. it's very, it's a very simple way, probably, to make bread. But you know what I mean? Really, porridge oats. And you know, most most flours and, and wheats that's grown in Britain and Ireland, they're not really good for anything but making bread. Really, I'll be honest with you. <laughs> Especially wheat and bread, but they're not very good for making yeah. sourdoughs and stuff like that. Mm. You need proper French and Italian flours to, for that to work well. Yeah, and pasta. And yeah, like absolutely. Yeah. You know, but uh, I think uh, what we do is it is good and uh, it's it's great when you make something that's such a stalwart really and you just turn it into something a little bit more special yeah definitely. I, mean, I can't say I'm not original we worked on it for a while we got the recipe right uh, you know what I mean it's not light it's it's dark it's it's not too sweet but it does a hint in it and it just goes so well you have a seafood cocktail or a bit of smoked salmon mm. or or a nice piece of cheese with that bread and you really feel god this this was made for that mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so you know it works well yeah it's found its place you know yeah, it's found its place found definitely. its place yeah well it has definitely you saw, you saw, you saw them at Fortnum Mason's last year didn't you so it's, <laughs> it's definitely found its place yeah yeah, yeah. Um, yeah it made its way into Fortnum Mason's sandwiches as well and you know sandwiches what I mean? yeah I did yeah. I, I, on their little uh, takeaway kind of smuggers board uh, smoked uh, seafood uh, sandwich just to do and there Bentley's bread sitting at the bottom of it you know amazing um and you grew up in Ireland, so have you been making soda bread since you? Ah, yeah, still? yeah. I brought up most most households, and yeah. you know, I'm a 1960s kid, so most households in the country of Ireland would have made the bread that time. Because yeah. this come pre-supermarkets and stuff, small shops. You'd be able to buy your usual sliced and diced pans and all of that. You know what I mean, really, and the batch loaves. But if you you wouldn't be able to buy something wholemeal breads like mm-hmm. that. Uh, but my mum made it. She made a sweet variation of that as well. We called it currant bread with currants and a dash of sugar in it, mm. which we'd have in the afternoon. It'd be like an afternoon tea bread, you know what I mean? It's absolutely gorgeous. Yeah. Jesus Christ, it's so good, I'll be honest with you. We should do it here. And it'd be very good with a blue cheese as well. We should do it. You just reminded me of something. Bentley's afternoon tea. You just tea. afternoon tea. <laughs> yeah, yeah, currants, cur- or curny bread or currant bread. It was really good. Oh, it was absolutely yeah. st- Dunking me white white soda bread basically, and no 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 whole meal in it. You know just white bread uh, soda, 
uh, and uh, currants, a really good handful of currants mm. and a tiny bit of sugar in there as well. You've just given me a good idea. When I talk food, I just come up with ideas flowing into my head. <laughs> well, you listen back to the podcast and then... Uh... Yeah, it'd be great with a Stilton cheese. That's what I'm just thinking here now. A nice porty Stilton with a slice of that. There you go. Yeah. No, you know, well, no need to take notes. It's, yeah. all, it's all recorded. Yeah. Um, brilliant. And today in the Times as well, um, Giles Corrin mentioned you, which is very exciting, for your restaurant in Shoreditch, Daftal Mulligan. Yeah. Um, and he mentioned your lamb sweetbread kebab abs, whipped chicken livers on goose fat toast, mangalitsa pork hash. Yeah. I mean, it just sounds incredible. And, and sugar pit pork. So sugar I, wanted pork, to, yeah. I wanted to speak to you about all this yummy, meaty goodness and your favourite suppliers. He mentioned someone called Peter Hannon. Yeah, Peter Hannon is one of them. I have two over there. I have uh, uh, Hereford Prime in Tipperary supplies my sirloins. And Peter does all my ribs. So okay. there's two great meat people in Ireland. There's one down in Tip, the 18 Farmers, that does the Hereford Prime. It's very special. You know, most butchers, you know what I mean, really, at the end of the day, they don't hang their meat long enough. That's the real problem with mm. butchers, you know. When you can give a piece of sirloin 40 days and maybe even 48 days, it does make the most extraordinary difference to that piece of meat. It becomes something else. It becomes better. It becomes the aristocrat, basically. You know, you get more moisture out of it. You know, it matures just that little bit. Because you are just, you're, you know, you know, you don't want to let it go bad or anything. You know what I mean? I'm not, I'm not advocating that, but... You, <laughs> It's nice to get as much moisture out of a strip loin or a sirloin as possible. It just makes a better piece of meat. When you know it's so tender that this is gorgeous and you have a pepper sauce with that. Mm. Jesus, come on, a pepper sauce here in Bentley's and a sirloin with a, a, the poivre with a little spinach puree. Honestly, God, when you're bored of life, just come and have a seafood cocktail and, <laughs> and the sirloin and poivre, you know what I mean? It'll just... All your struggles will just go away. All your struggles will just go away for until you get the bill, of course. Yeah. You know what I mean, really? And then you go, what? What? Um, brilliant. And and are there any other um, suppliers or Irish produce that you... Oh, there is good. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a huge fan. It's not just Irish. Bentley's is mm. kind of a, a, a very much a kind of an English English uh, house, really. And I'm very aware it's an English house, so we don't want to Irish try too much. Uh, I'm the custodian of it, I'll be honest with you. And I, 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 you know, Bentley's was on its knees for 20 years before I uh, came in here and bought it and rebuilt bloody place. It was a sad place. It really was very sad. And it had such a beautiful history of the Bentley family. They sold it in 78. And then for the next 78, 88, 98, for around 20, 20 something years, it really it went so far downhill. And the Bentley family come back in here now, and the first time ever since they sold it, you know what I mean? We have their grand, grand their, their nieces and nephews in. And they said to me, we're proud to come back to it. You know what I mean? I mean, that says an awful lot to me. Yeah, that's amazing. That's, you know, and they were in here in October and we had a lovely chat. And there's a chap doing a book in Piccadilly. Uh, he was having oysters inside. And then I introduced the Bentley family to him. And all of a sudden, like, because they had loads of information, you know what I mean, mm. about this. So, you know, I'm very, I'm very proud. And Bentley's is really about, you know, delicious things done really well. And that's why I've always put the bakery at huge expense into our basement. And everyone said to me, oh, why make your own bread? I've always made my own bread. I made it in Corrigan's. I made it here. And I just feel that it's part of the smell of bread. It's the it's the, the, the absolute passion when you, you smell bread in your own restaurant. You know what I mean? I don't know. It does something to you. It makes you feel like there's just something real about it. You can feel that, you know what I mean, there's a chef cooking for you. You know what I mean? Probably Jackson Boxer right now, I think, is cooking really well. I haven't eaten his food just yet, but I will, and it's on my it's on my thing. You know, when he when he pre-pandemic, I wasn't too sure, but post-pandemic, I say, you know, you're you're a chef when I eat your food. You know what I mean, really? Uh, so there's lots of chefs I think around, but what I don't want is a collection of canopies on a place and little stripes and dashes and. 
art I and really post. hate doing canapes you know what I mean uh, you know but you know there's so, so many restaurants you go to you have eight nine courses and you just feel well, get me out of here right now <laughs> I'm too bored I'm too I'm, I'm bored I've lost concentration food, food prison I like to it's call food, it sometimes food prison <laughs> I've never heard that one before I'm going to use that <laughs> food prison you know when what I mean go, right? when, you, when you have the taste menu you're like oh yeah, God, there's, there's more sh- there's more there's more and there's a whole page of the chef's philosophy behind it but the fact of the matter is you know what I mean I love I love the craft of the chef I love I love to see masters at work. I love to see real people who are very passionate and love the love the the trade, love the whole thing about the next generation. Uh, you know, there's just so many little things that makes a beautiful experience. But you know, the the greeting at the door mm. must be one of the most important things in a restaurant. And I'm not saying food isn't, and I would never say that. But if you're met by someone absolutely surly and snobbish and horrible. I mean, all of a sudden, the food doesn't taste so good in those places. But when you're left with absolute warmth at that door and brought to your table, and there's someone really nice looking after you that that knows the menu, that kind of knows what's on the blackboard, all of a sudden you feel, I'm at home. Mm. And that's what a restaurant is about, is making you feel at home. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, and speaking of, like, at home, I think on your menus across all of your restaurants, you have some quite nostalgic flavours and nostalgic ingredients. Like, I think black pudding is quite nostalgic... But that's because I'm very English and I've always had it with breakfast. We used to kill the pigs, so we made it. Yeah. So, you know what I mean? So when people talk to me about black pudding, you know what I mean? I mean, I know what good black pudding is. I know what bad black pudding is. And there's so much bad black pudding out there, I wouldn't bother eating it. Mm. You know what I mean, really? First of all, good black pudding needs to be made with pig's blood. And it needs to be soft in the boudon noir in the French type, you know what I mean? Then dry, rusk, you don't and, like that, and yeah. hard. No, yeah, yeah. Well it's so it. dusty. It's a filler for factories to make money on. So, you know what I mean, really? So, when you get a good black pudding, you know what I mean? There's good black pudding up the north of England now. There's a few nice English boys. They're starting to do it. They weren't doing it. There might have been a few there before, but now there's a few more. And uh, we've Inch House in Ireland, which is absolutely delicious. And there's another one down in Enniscoll, down in Kerry. Uh, but there's um, there must be 10, 10 people in the UK making fabulous black pudding. So it's out there, but you have mm. to go get it. It's not like on the Sainsbury shelf or the yeah, Waitrose yeah, yeah. shelf. As a matter of fact, I see less black pudding on the supermarket shelves than I've ever seen in my life. Fact is, I like black pudding because, first of all, it's using all the animal. That's mm. number one. And second, it's a, it's a fabulous ingredient. Fried apples, a dash of cream and a, bit, and a good dash of calvados. I tell you so, with a bit of black pudding sitting on that, you have the most delicious meal in the world on that bit of mash on the side. So don't tell me you can't feed a family. Uh, it's not about money. It's just about the willpower of mashed potato, good black pudding and a few apples and all of a sudden you have dinner. You know what I mean, really? And that was my household. So, you know, I'm not talking through my rear end on these subjects. Yeah. You know what I mean, really? Black pudding is real food, great yeah. food. What other um, stuff did you grow up eating? Oh, rabbits, rabbits, young rabbits, rabbits. always young, shot rung rabbits. My dad was a very keen shot, shot really. Mm-hmm. So young rabbits, really, sorted off on a cast iron pan. And uh, honestly, that'd be a lunch with a bowl of soup and that'd be on the side, do you know what I mean? Tapas style. Yeah. We didn't know it was tapas at the time. <laughs> it was just called it was just called lunch, you yeah. know what I mean, really? And we were so hungry, there might as well be roast beef on the bone, you know what I mean, for us on the countryside. But pheasants and wild ducks and anything like that, and lots of eels. Eels eels and wild salmon was mostly breakfast. Rabbits and stuff like that was mostly light lunches. And dinner, dinner as you'd call dinner in Ireland, was really very light in most cases. During the summer, lunch was the biggest meal. Always a slice of curry cake in the afternoon and a pot of tea at four o'clock. And then evening, seven o'clock, was always salads and cold meats and stuff like that. You know what I mean? Even though it was a slice bit of ham from a 
deli or something you know what I mean it was always simple if you didn't have something yourself you bought something in but it would be salads from the garden boiled eggs and stuff like that and brown bread of course you know because lunch would have been would have been quite quite tasty in most cases Ooh, yeah, and shepherd's pie you know what I mean boiled mince like shepherd's pie played an extraordinary big part of our childhood like everyone else in England and Ireland in the 1970s and you know what I mean really it was delicious nutritious and 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 and, and, and value for, for my mum to make so you know I've tasted everything you know, from boiled mince to fe- pheasants to mallards to eels to wild salmon. So I'm not a snob about food. I think if anything is done really well, with a bit of passion and a bit of effort, and a dash of Worcestershire in the mince, you know, it's amazing what happens. You know what I mean? Really, it really is amazing what happens. Good food when there's a passionate cook at uh, you know whisking that pot. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and so you mentioned fish and game there. Yeah. You, you're a massive fan of fish. Love fish. Uh, Bentley's what is a seafood. It's got you know oyster bar yeah. and um, and are you a keen fisherman yourself? Yeah, I like. I used to shoot a lot, but I stopped all that. I'll be honest. With you. I like I like fishing. I'll be honest mm. with you. I like fishing with the right people. You know, I like going out in the boat. You know, I've been out in Loch Sheelan a few times now in Ireland, uh, wild trout fishing. You know, I wouldn't say I'm a I'm a great keen fisherman. You know what I mean? I wouldn't be making my fly in a, mm. a line in a bat of water looking at would a would a if I was a trout would I eat that fly? You know what I mean? Really, like some crazy fisherman. Yeah, you know yeah, what I mean? Really, get really into oh god, it. yeah. So I know people who lie in bats and look out and thinking if I was a trout would I bite that fly? You know what I mean? People making their own flies. You know what I mean? That's too much. I mean, come on, give me yeah, a break. you can make your make your own bread. It's good, like yeah, don't yeah, 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 yeah. The real lunatics. But I don't like driven shoots anymore. I've stopped all that. That's nonsense. And if you shoot for the table, fantastic. Rough shoots, fantastic. Going out with a few people and a rough shoot in the country is fantastic. And I think that's getting a lot more popular as well for a lot of people and uh, fishing I like a bit of uh, sea fishing I'm going to be honest with you I think that's I don't know what it is it's it's normally summertime when you're doing it uh, I you know I've caught red mullet off the south coast of Ireland you know what I mean really I mean you know wow uh, lots of you know the sprats and the, the sprats are running at the moment you know what I mean around the coast comes from the Atlantic around the coast and then the head to the English east coast if you're in the south coast of Ireland at the moment there's lots of these ships you know hoovering up all these sprats which really annoys me but mackerel I just love I just love mackerel fresh mackerel clean its head off straight away and just have it in the next 12 hours you know yeah unbelievably but, um, well it's like yeah. It's like taking brain supplement uh, kind of tablets, you know, yeah. what I mean? when you have oil, oily fish. I really fish. need to eat, take some supplements because I don't eat oily fish. It's not good for me. It's it's good. It's a good thing. Oily fish. Yeah. I was brought up in oily fish. I mean, we used to get that every couple of weeks we'd have herrings and mackerels from on a Friday would come from. My dad would bring them from the coast, a nice big box of them, you know what I mean? And we'd feast on them forever, you know what I mean? So, you know, there is a lot to be said for for really good, fresh seafood and respect it and looked after and not waste it and just but I do like uh, fish and I like mussels. I like wild mussels. I like oysters. Yeah, you, you know uh, what I mean? To I'm, say you like oysters is a bit of an understatement, I'd say. I know we have a lot of oysters here in Paris <laughs> and we're always looking for great oysters. And we have some amazing suppliers. I couldn't even dare mention them to the public in case there was none left for me. Okay, fair enough. So every time we talk about oysters, you know what I mean? You have to take that with a big question mark in Bentley's because we have amazing people supplying us. Yeah. But they don't have a lot. Yeah. Right now, we have some of the best oysters in England here. No question. What type are they? They're rocks and natives. Rocks we and have natives. around uh, three, four natives, different types of natives. We always have one from Ireland, always have one from England. And for the first time in years, the, the Colchester and Mersey oysters are eating extraordinarily well. 
I don't ask me why. It's not about uh, is it lockdown? I don't really know, <laughs> but I've never seen the the oysters so beautiful. The natives maybe there isn't such a demand on them this year because mm. we had to close down early, so they got a bit bigger. But the native number ones and twos this year are just extraordinarily beautiful. I think there's definitely a. Um a cause between people lockdown restaurants closed and the amount of fish and lobsters and crab and all of that stuff that's around uh, absolutely it's crazy yeah yeah when I, I was up in scotland cooking in august and the the lobsters that we bring in every day and the mackerel and the it was just off the chart what were you paying for your lobsters uh we weren't the family i was cooking for had 12 really? so crab lobsters I mean, it was 100% live off the land. Lost. I had veggies from the garden, and they would all bring up veggies, the, all the guests from their, like, So gardens. a lot of people to cook for every day. Uh, I had a uh, range between, no, like, 8 to 20. Well, I tell you what, you're, you're busy. It was a busy month. No, 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 it was a busy month. I mean, no, 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 I, I know it. So, yeah. You know, woo. Um, but it was amazing. Yeah. I mean, the, the produce is incredible. And then um, they have venison as well. Uh, so it was just Yeah, absolutely. Scotland, Scotland's wonderful. Absolutely yeah. wonderful. Wonderful stuff going on there. Wonderful chefs as well. Yeah, an incredible place. Uh, I need to talk to you about Virginia Park Lodge. Yeah. Which, when did you buy that? I bought that uh, early 2013. Okay. And, um, yeah, it's, it's got amazing grounds. Golf course, it looks incredible. Um, but it, gardens I, as well. I've never played the golf course. You never course. played the golf course. I don't play golf. <laughs> the, members, the members rent it and run it. Thanks yeah. Thanks God. You know what I mean, really? Yeah. I'd have sheep on it if I had. I'll be honest with you. The grass would never be cut. Uh, but it is it is a beautiful, beautiful site on, on a beautiful lake, Grammar. Lovely. Uh, it's on a t- beside a thousand acres of natural woodland. Uh, you know, we've uh, over 100 acres around the house itself. Uh, my gardens is absolutely fantastic there to supply my restaurants yeah uh, we've been at the gardens now for six years I, I think we've done an amazing job above organic we have a heritage uh, orchard planted we have the fruit orchards planted we've a, uh, during COVID we put in a winter garden a blueberry orchard nice and we have the, we've cleared a whole area of woodland that was kind of overgrown, badly overgrown with laurel that got out of control, that ended up in twisted kind of tree-like, you know what I mean, that you couldn't even walk into it. It must have been three, three and a half acres of that. There was natural walkways once upon a time. So we cleared that, which was a massive job. I cleared, part cleared it around two and a half years ago. I totally cleared it this summer. Uh, and that's ready for the national, uh, uh, hopefully the national uh, rosodendron collection from in Scotland will go in there for the National Trust. Oh, wow. Um, but they have to be managed because rosodendrons in Ireland, when they grow wild, they just kind of go up to the side yeah. of the Well, like, l- just, like the laurel. laurel uh, is. Yeah, absolutely. But I really want to put something in there and manage them really well. Yeah. That's the key. And uh, we're going Useful. to do that because it will be very beautiful. Yeah. And uh, I think, I don't know, they suit the landscape. They look great. There's something very exotic about them and uh, it'd be very interesting I think in a few years time what we've done there I think when when we started on it you know there was no gates there was nothing it was a bit of a mess so we went up avenues we built gate houses we're on two boat houses at the moment we've just roofed one of the boat houses uh, so it's a complete do a ropper jobby I mean it really is I thought I'd do it in six years but forget about that <laughs> I mean really forget about that this is a 12 year project wow. and no offence after that the kids will have to take the slack and do the rest of it because it might end up a 20 year project you know yeah pass off pass off to them <laughs> pass off I've done my part now get, get cracking you know what I mean really so it really is in fairness it's a it's a beautiful old hunting lodge uh, 
and we don't really kill anything on it anymore because there's more bees and birds on that estate now than it ever was in its life and I'm really proud about the wildlife and what has happened. I mean, we don't even cover the fruit orchards there. We let the birds, if we can't get it quick enough, then the birds can have it. That's that's our feeling. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know what I mean? Let nature have its share, you know. And I think we've ended up with a beautiful balance on the whole estate because of that. Uh, you know, it wasn't something we set out to do. It's just something that happened. We planted so much lavender in all the different gardens that, of course, the bees have come and the bees have stayed and... And everyone said there was a shortage of bumblebees two years ago or something. And I honestly, I took a took a little movie of just the thousands of bumblebees just having the time of their life, you know. So I think if you if you do help uh, nature along, it flourishes and does very well. And uh, the key is don't use sprays. Mm, mm. Well, there's a whole um, movement of that kind of farming happening. Don't use sprays. It kills the soil. It kills everything. It kills every insect around us. Yeah. And you end up with this barren landscape. And it's all got to do with glyph, whatever it's called, that the farmers use on their grains. and Yeah. You know what I mean, really? <laughs> I, uh, uh, and it's, it really is. I've, I've even asked grain farmers about it because it's not that I'm not interested. I'm really interested in why they use it. You know what I mean? Because, you know, a few years ago, five, six years ago, you get, you know, barley, barley, for example, tonny jaw of an acre would be maybe 12 ton. Now they're getting 17, 18 tons. So, you know what I mean? It's, it's you know, but to push the soil to breaking point, and yeah. pu- they have pushed nature to breaking point. No, it's just and don't blame the farmers. Don't blame anyone. I'll be honest with you, because they're not good. The prices of farming hasn't changed because government don't want f- doesn't want food to be expensive. I mean, that's that's all governments don't want food to be expensive, not just British or Irish, American. No, no governments, and they're terrified of those the food riots of the last centuries. You know what I mean? What the only thing that ever brought down governments was was the lack of food. There has always been a policy of cheap food. Pilot high, sell it cheap. You know, sliced pan was invented in Chomley Woods so people would feel like they're eating bread when it's 70% water you know what I mean it's a it's a it's a you know so you know not getting into the thing of it but you know when you do things au naturel yeah you just feel you're adding something to it you know what I mean and the lodge was uh, you know was in a you know, I'm not going to do one of those things when I found it it was all broken down but mm. it was it was pretty neglected and you know we've rebuilt it I've turned the whole house around I've planted hedges, I've planted, you know what I mean, really, um, you know, I've, I've, I've done things, I, I, well, maybe now I wish I kept some of the dosh, I'll be honest with you, mm. you know what I mean, really, but you know, when you spend 18,000 planting a hedge in the front of us, you know what I mean, really, a yew hedge, that, it's very beautiful, but I wouldn't mind 18 grand right now, I'll be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can't, you can't take the hedge back. You know? And then, and uh, you know, but you know, what, what we have done there is, it's, it's, it's about the future, it has an amazing future. And I think the, as part of the, the, the you know, when, when restaurants in London, and this is not being solemn or a little bit, you know, but I'm, 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 I'm very much honest that, you know, that rents and rates have gone so much in central London that there's almost a central London price for things now and a W1 price, W2 and a W3 and a W4 price. But rents in central London, don't be saying restaurants are expensive. The, the reality is our rent and rates are so high that we're paying through the nose to be here. So, you know, that's that's the reality. I think there are balance needs to come back into everything. Everyone I used to always say to our landlords, you're you're gonna you're gonna kill us, you're gonna make us nothing the way it's going on. I mean when you say, when you can't even make a ten percent profit in your restaurants in central London, clearly there's something clearly madly wrong mm. in the whole business. And it's you know what I mean, COVID has came along and it's kind of stopped everyone in their tracks. And I think everyone needs a rethink, you know what I mean, really, it just needs a rethink, you know. It really does. Yeah. 
Yeah. It just really does because it's going to be two or three years before we see tourism mainstay back in central London. And it's not just going to come back the next summer or the summer after. You know what I mean? Really, it's it's there's a long journey ahead of us, and it'll be very interesting to see you know how, who and what and how we're going to get through it all. Yeah, I wish me the answer. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. So, but but going back to Virginia Park Lodge, yes. it, everything boils about it. It's a really good thing I've done because I just feel you know as a you know I'm the, I'm, I own the place. You know what I mean? I'm not dealing with landlords. I'm not dealing with anyone. So every investment I make into the place is the future investment. So you know when you're talking about operating in central London at the costs of operating in central London for for less reward you'd, you'd have to ask yourself what the hell are we doing in city centres yeah well the I mean, really, I mean, restaurants I, have been thriving yeah absolutely what are we doing in city centres <laughs> yeah really what are we doing here you know this is supposed to be A plus A1 star 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 it's not central central towns around your, the world right now are on their knees and they're going to be on their knees for a long time so you know what I mean it's going to be a, a very very hard and difficult period and uh, you know it's going to be very interesting I mean there's going to be two tiers whoever is left at all, all of this will be there'll be two tiers the very top and the very bottom there'll be nothing in the middle mm. yeah that is that's really interesting um, so lastly uh, it's Christmas coming up which is which is good but if we're you know the rules are interesting but I love Christmas we'll make it yeah. we'll make it work and yeah. I, I saw you were in Virginia Park Lodge last last week was it or the week before yeah. and you, you, you're doing ago. this beautiful hamper you've got Christmas pudding selling here you've got Bentley's hampers so yeah Christmas is a very exciting time anyway for, yeah. for you and you, you I feel like you go the whole hog what have you got any other plans or just the hampers and the puddings no well we've made four, 450 puddings we've, we're, wow. we're going to sell a couple of hundred hampers in Ireland I'm sure or 150 anyway and London will sell probably a hundred or something from here. So I just think I love making Christmas puddings. We we made Christmas puddings every year for thirty years in London. And you know, no matter what trend of food was in or out, I always made my Christmas puddings. Yeah. Because if 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 you nobody bought them, I could always put them in brulees and ice creams and soufflés and I mean, so good I mean, it's so cream. versatile a Christmas pudding mix. You Fried know, I mean? Christmas pudding. I tell you something. Put it into an ice cream yeah. toffee sauce. Yeah, I mean, there you go. We don't. We actually yeah. we don't. I do like Christmas pudding, but sometimes we don't do it, and we do like a mince pie ice cream. Yeah, mince with pie. toffee sauce. That's our that. like family thing. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, we, we do like a bomb. Golden, yeah. golden Christmas. I don't like the darker ones. I like my little uh, my my. My mince pies kind of lightish but spicy but light yeah and I just because we, we've lots of apples so I like to use up all the apples and we call them golden mince pies you know what I mean because they're just that goldeny colour so you do use like really light sultanas absolutely apples. Apps, lots of apples yeah. you know what I mean cinnamons Lovely. bit of clove yeah because the Christmas pudding and when you have a heavy Christmas pudding and then you have a very similar mince pie filling mm. you know what I mean really I'm, I'm not too sure I'll be honest with you so I like the lighter mince pies because they're great and they're absolutely lovely but the Christmas pudding I just love I love Christmas pudding I honestly I'm using a recipe I think but it was part Francis Bizzle I'll be honest with you who I loved as a food writer I'll be honest with you I just loved her. I used to have a box of recipes from her just out for cuttings in the times you know I used to scissors scissors them out every week and and uh, you know who who I mean most most writers I'll be honest with you I mean in Indian nice I mean if she had written something and a lot of women believe it or not I do find women make the best recipe writers Boys might make the have stamina in the kitchen and all that, you know what I mean? Are good, are good kind of hot carriers really of pots and pans and you know all of that. But the best recipes I've always came across are women. Mm. Absolutely, you know what I mean? Really, I mean, you know, 
you know, I'm not going to take that back, I'm just thinking hard here. Can I even say something? Richard Olney, possibly, simple French. I'll be honest, maybe. Maybe. Yeah. I think they probably got the patience yeah. to go through the recipe and tweak it again and again and again until it's perfect. So Mary Berry, every single recipe she has, she starts and then she subtracts something and then Listen, she tests it again and subtracts. I spent a day with Mary in her house. How was it? Now, I'm known in our business as a pretty hardcore guy to go out with. Can I tell you something? <gasps> Mary Berry shamed me. <laughs> That's so funny. She ended up putting me in the cab. <laughs> I love Mary. Mary is the best. She's the queen. She <laughs> is the queen of the cooks. Yeah, Mary. Yeah. And yeah. by God, can she bloody party? <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, how funny! No, she's she's absolutely amazing. Um, I miss her on Bake Off. Yeah, but I do love Prudith as well because I'm a Leith's girl. So are you? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think um, Ma- Ma- Mary would have a more combined knowledge. Yeah. I think Prue is good. I know Prue would done the great British menu. But Mary Mary has, has a kind of, I don't know, she's very exacting when it comes to certain things, I think, Mary. Yeah. Uh, I went through something about Mary very lately, and I'll be honest with you, I think her, one of her recipes came up Trump. <laughs> that, uh, yeah, it did. It really did work out well. I think we've used a couple. We were test cooking something. And Mary Berry, so I went, that's pretty impressive. Mm. You know what I mean, really? Mm. So, but there, there you go. You have all these stalwarts, Mary's, the Delia's, the Prue's, you know what I mean, really? Yeah, brilliant. Well, the last question I have for you is something that I ask all my guests, and it's what your favourite seasonal ingredient is right now. My favourite seasonal, seasonal ingredient has to be wild game birds. Mm-hmm. Pat, uh, you know what I mean, uh, I, I'm talking about a wild pheasant, you know, from a shoot, right? I'm talking about, you know, it's something on a, on a smaller estate. I love roe venison. I love native oysters. And they all come in around the mid-September on, onwards. Yeah. You know, I love mallards. I just love wild duck. I love grouse. So you can say my, my love affair with food really starts with mid-August onwards because everything I deeply love just comes in every four weeks, six weeks, you know, one month. You know, it just rolls on to the end of January and then it feels a little bit, mm. a bit boring, a little bit boring. I start getting a little nervous and go, mm, whatever. But saying that, you know what I mean, really, you, you'd, you'd often read a recipe that says parsnip little lobster and crispy black pudding or something you can mm, that sounds bloody good so you know what I mean yeah, I think your imagination starts kicking off in different ways when all those natural ingredients starts just disappearing all the goodies I call them the larger goodies kind of start to disappear and then what you don't want to do is start getting into chefy little dishes making things up just to you know whatever but you know I, I just think as you get a little bit older, you start to really understand the whole thing. It really is about provenance and flavor and just light touch in the kitchen. And that's hard to explain to a customer. Mm. Like having a dressed crab and Bentley's, honestly. I mean, honestly, a seafood mm. cocktail, a Dover sole, 22 ounce. Yeah. Honestly, it's, it's, it's end of days stuff. I call it grown up food. Yeah, don't mess really, with it. Don't, it's, it's really grown up. You know, we, we've the the lobster thermidor that's on the menu, native lobster, you know what I mean, really. Honestly, just come to Bentley's and have a bowl of bisque made from the crushed shells of the native lobsters. Honestly, that sums Bentley's up. I don't need to sell us, it's just here. 
I mean, most cooks couldn't make a biscuit if you bloody if you you know put it out of a tin for them, they wouldn't know what to do with it. You know what I mean? But making a bisque from base properly, it's a three-day event. Yeah, in yeah. Scotland, obviously did not waste any crab or lobster shells. Oh, Roasted them off. Yeah, and don't give them too much rod. You don't want any tinge to go on them at all. I and yeah. mean, once you get that goddamn tinge, they're destroyed. Yeah, so like really gentle, gentle yeah. shallots. Fennel, yeah, carrot, yeah. light, light aromats. I call them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and um, and a good dash of brandy, plenty oh brandy, plenty, tomato and brandy, plenty of brandy. Yes. Um, yeah, yeah, just so good. Cream, um, just delicious. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much for coming so on thank you very the doorstep much. kitchen. Listen, pleasure. We are now joined by our resident foraging expert Fergus, who today is speaking about reed mace. If you've missed the last few shows and want to learn more about foraging, then I've added all of Fergus's clips to my website. So just go to doorstepkitchen.com forward slash podcast. Just click on the show notes for this episode and you'll find the link as well. Approaching the winter solstice and it being so dark for so long, it's tempting to stay under the duvet for a little bit longer in the mornings or even earlier at night. And it's with that thought that my mind kind of turns to the wonderful plant reed mace or bulrush what the americans would call cattails which is so recognizable in kind of any well around ponds and streams and the edges of lakes and even in ditches recognizable at this time of the year by the seed head which is like a great big cigar and yeah the association for me with duvets is i once gathered 300 of those to stuff my duvet and my goodness it was really warm And indeed, they have been used in that way for insulating material for hundreds of years, particularly in Native American tradition. But it's also a wonderful food. So reed mace, typha latifolia and uh, typha augustifolia. Amazing plants. So let me kind of take you through the year of how to use them. So now would be the time, in fact, to harvest the rhizome. So that's the the part that grows under the ground, it's like a, I don't know, a, a, I'm trying to think of the diameter really, uh, I don't know, about three, four centimetre diameter kind of tube, which is the rhizome, and um, it's soft on the outside, but inside that there's a core of starch with fibres running through it, and that core is about the thickness of a pencil, and it's great. You can extract the starch either by peeling off the outside layer and then blending the fibrous core with water um, and extracting the starch that way, or drying the whole lot and like pounding it up and extracting the starch. So that can be used like corn flour. Then in the spring, we have the young shoots kind of appearing from that, which you can eat raw or cooked. A little bit later in the spring, kind of mid-spring to late spring, it's a time when they, they just basically look like giant leaks at the water's edge. Now, it does kind of seem like it's a lot of wastage, but if you peel back all those outer leaves, you get to the core, which is uh, kind of leaves that are kind of slightly yellower than the green outer leaves, but they are absolutely delicious. A slightly dry, cucumbery flavour, and you can put those in salads or um, gently cook them or pickle them, do lots of things like that. Then, moving on a little bit, uh, another few weeks, you've got the what does become that cigar-like structure you've got the immature ones still enclosed in those leaves and you can boil those and you can kind of eat them like sweet corn 
Um, you can even like candy them or, or uh, yeah, my, my favorite thing I did with them is I cooked a load of venison and then I cooked them in, in the juices left over. Now, the other thing you can do is once we get to kind of the end, well, midsummer, the end of the end of June, really above that cigar like structure, which is just peering through the leaves now you have a spike of pollen. Now that pollen can be harvested in huge quantities and be added to, to pancakes um, and cakes. Gives it a wonderful saffron colour and, and a real softness as well. Then we come all the way back to this time of year and we can actually harvest those cigar-like structures and disintegrate them down, bore them up and well, you need about 20 of them to to reduce down to a syrup with some water and they're marvelous for cocktail making and ice cream making and all sorts of things so uh, that's just a few things that you can do with reed mace and it's you know it's not always about the food i mean a lovely thing i i did one time i made a basket with the leaves of reed mace and i've, I've heard that you can use those cigar like structures at this time of the year dipped in in wax or oil and kind of use them as kind of giant candles i've never tried that but that sounds kind of fun um yeah reed mace it's out there so if you can find some and have a play thanks fergus love the thought of drying out the root and using it as a native cornflower i'm sure it'd be great for thickening gravies um such as on christmas day That's all for today, but I'll be back in January to speak to game chef Mike Robinson about all things wild and wonderful, including venison, as Mike is a bit of a deer expert. Happy Christmas, and see you in the new year!